0: friends and welcome to but I digest my name is Hans Ruffert and I'm Steve McDonough on every episode of the podcast we feature a specific food or ingredient traipsing through the mountains to dig up its history meeting its pungent heroes and celebrating all of its glorious hoopla and our topic this week is ramps right so I don't mean the incline because pretty much when I tell people that I'm I'm excited about ramp season, they think, well, uh, is this like a, you know, you're trying to go upstairs in a more efficient way? Um, so what are ramps? I know you know a lot you about You know, this
1: right? is an interesting thing because a lot of people don't know what ramps are. Yeah. They've got such a very, very short growing season. They're not easy to find. I mean, they're not gonna be in your big supermarkets right now. It is kind of the thing that you're gonna see at you know, in a tart at a nice restaurant for a very short window, that type of idea. Uh, I was at a different uh, job today and I was talking about ramps and no one, no one knew what I was talking about. So, you know, instead of telling them what to do, I said, you need to subscribe to my podcast. If you want to know this information, you'd better subscribe. (laughs) And then I left.
0: I I like how you're holding uh, information hostage for ransom, for ransom, holding it for ransom. Nice. Um, I'm sorry. Starting off the bat there with uh, some pungent humor, uh, so let's talk about ramps. Because quite honestly, I grew up in uh, in Appalachia, and it wasn't until I was uh, almost an adult before I re- I kept hearing people talk about uh, going on a ramp tramp. And you know, when you're a kid, you just want to kind of nod and act like you know what people are talking about. I had no idea uh, until I really got uh, involved in sort of the local food scene. So ramps are essentially a wild onion. Um, or you could say it's a wild garlic. I mean, they're really in the same allium family, right? And uh, they are, I mean, the definition of the word ephemeral, right? They're they're here for a very short time. And that time is right now.
1: Yeah, um, right now. We're, yeah. We're, we're It's April 21st for us right here. And we've got, it's a three-week window and then they just die back and uh, everything else fills in in the woods.
0: Yeah and we'll we'll talk about that. It really is a fascinating plant and they are celebrated this time of year and uh, in fact I'm going ramp hunting uh, tomorrow. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. So let's, as usual, I love to get into the nerdy scientific stuff. So let's define what are we talking about. The plant itself, the Latin name is Allium trichocum, And uh, the trichocum really means three seeds because each little flower head produces eventually three seeds per pod. Um, so that's what we call it here in the States. Now, it has an Asian and European cousin that is called Allium Ursinum and ursinum ursus means the bear, right? So in Latin. So in German, it's actually called bears leak uh, because apparently bears like to eat them when, why not? They've got well, a they taste. do
1: when they come out of hibernation and they are looking for something fresh on the ground, they leeks or something, excuse, these wild leeks or ramps are available to them. So, yes, this is a bear's food.
0: Yeah. And uh, so I always keep one eye open when I am out looking for, for ramps uh, in case the bears are uh, hungry like I am. Uh, but they're they're known as ramps or ramsums. Um, some people call them just wild garlic or wild leeks or wood leeks. Uh, and uh, up in Minnesota, apparently, there was a term that caught on for a while called gunion, Uh which I kind of like gunion. Uh It which basically is part garlic and part onion. Somebody came oh, up I with like the term. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and so that apparently, that is the only part of the, the country where that term kind of took off. So in Minnesota, you might hear them re- referred to as a gunion. Uh And in uh, hoity-toity fancy French restaurants or up in Quebec, uh, they are known, and Steve, you'll have to help me out here. How do you say that?
1: Uh, Ale de bois. So that literally means ale is garlic, ale de bois is um, French for wild garlic.
0: Wild garlic. Nice. Dubois. Um, so uh, the, the word ramps itself, though, apparently comes from this Elizabethan English slang term, uh, which was Rams or Ramsons, which meant also wild garlic. I, I love the idea that Elizabethans had slang like street Elizabethans with a Oh Oh, no, hell
1: yes. <laughs> Come, <laughs> on, awesome. Come on, Shakespeare. Come on. You it? don't know this? I love it. That's no, great. let's not start stump the straight guy this early. Yeah, it's too early <laughs> we in the podcast. Don't know anything about Shakespeare? Yeah. Get me started. Uh, no,
0: it, I know it. I really don't. That is true. Um, so we're we are focusing really on the uh, the ramps, the trichocum uh, that grows here in North America, and you can find them pretty much anywhere east of the Mississippi, all the way from North Georgia way up into Canada. Um, and in some areas, especially particularly in Canada, they are protected and even illegal in some places to harvest, which. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, coming up here. But the plant itself is a perennial plant. And if you've listened to any of this podcast, you know I'm a plant nerd. Uh, perennial simply means it comes back year after year. But again, as Steve mentioned early on, it has a very limited growing season. And it really, by the time that the leaves on the trees in the forest have fully leafed out, ramp season's kind of over. Um, so, that's kind of I always set my calendar for about tax day around April 15th in our area is about the time that you start seeing the ramp starting to come up. Um, and again, I'm going hunting tomorrow, so I'm going to take a lot of photos of our ramp tramp. And that's what they call a when you go out hiking into the woods in this area, they
1: call that a ramp tramp. Well, you're, mine you're thinking... <laughs> is so much easier What's because that? they grow they grow in a lot of areas of Michigan and we have a house in southwest Michigan in the woods oh. and that is how we know that the that the winter is finally gone and spring is starting our entire property is filled filled with ramps
0: well it, listen it, 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 it's
1: the very first sign of spring here in Chicago uh, and it freaks everybody out they're all so f- Thrilled after not having any fresh food, like the the hibernating bear chefs come out, and they're so excited to find them. And we have them all over our property.
0: Well, that is amazing, and I'm jealous. But I have to I have to at least tell myself that the ramps that I laboriously hike through a 45 degree incline down it takes me about an hour going downhill to get them, and about an hour going hiking back out uh, with them, and I am sweaty and covered in dirt. And so I have to think that mine tastes better.
1: Because yeah, it <laughs> takes me 10 minutes. I think yeah. mine tastes better. 10 no, minutes but, it takes yeah, me. It's, if it's that. I walk into the back.
0: It's the love and the passion that I put into that that makes them so good. But mm-hmm. um, I I just had this feeling when I said Ramp Tramp, you were going to come up with some sort of, uh, of story. But I, I had the idea of getting like kind of a lower back tattoo of some ramps. So that i could have a ramp tramp stamp on my lower right back. That be right good? i
1: didn't even i had no idea you were going to say that
0: <laughs> a ramp tramp stamp i'm gonna i'm gonna corner the market on that uh, very classy <laughs> tattoo idea um so the the cool thing about ramps is again this ephemeral nature they are this very limited window we get excited about them but after the leaves kind of die back and they really do if you were to leave the ramps undisturbed the leaves turn yellow they kind of die back Yeah. And then this lone bloom stalk pops up. I mean, most people don't even see this because, again, if you're if they're deep in the woods, uh, of course, you can look out your window and see them at your property. But they put up this beautiful little uh, stalk or spike with little white flowers on there, and that's where the seeds are created. But it can take up to seven years from the time that seed hits the ground until it makes a mature ramp plant. So it's a very long lifespan.
1: It's that's really crazy. It's not like you can just go and get some burpee seeds and expect yeah. to see them in next spring. It's not the way they work. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. you
0: know, there um, some of the seeds, especially here in the south, it takes two or three winters for them to actually even germinate. They go. They they do better in colder climates, uh, but here in the south, I mean, again, they might have to sit dormant for two or three winters before they even come up. And even then, they look like a tiny seed of or blade of grass, and it takes years before they're edible size. So uh it's um it is really a a, almost a rare plant in that sense and they only tend to grow where uh, the soil is very leafy and loamy like underneath this for almost like picture perfect if you imagine a wilderness like a forest that's where they grow Uh, and they they tend to like to stay moist throughout the year um
1: don't we all hunts don't we all
0: yeah nobody likes that kind of you know flaky dry stuff so Uh, Now, what do you do with ramps? Now, as we mentioned, you know, again, they're in the garlic uh, family, they're in the uh, onion family. You use kind of the lower portion of the plant as you would an onion or a garlic. You can, you know, chop it up and mince that kind of lower, more solid part. The greens, sadly, in the South, a lot of folks throw the greens away, which in my mind is an absolute sin. Yeah,
1: no, you got to use the greens. Greens are amazing. So it kind of look, we haven't really described what they look like. I mean, you're kind of getting there, but when you pull one up, the top looks like hostas or something yeah, like yeah. that and then the bottom looks like a scallion
0: like a scallion yeah it's almost yeah. like a like a tulip even like kind of goes out and flares out into this wide blade yeah. uh, and honestly once you chop it up it kind of looks like spinach and, and that's what I tell people is that it really tastes like garlic kissed spinach right so it has Aww. this uh yeah, exactly. Or it's um it you can use it anywhere you would spinach. Um in a quiche or something like that where you saute it down, it really is it's a it's a beautiful green. To throw it away is an absolute waste.
1: Oh, hold on, Hans, sorry to interrupt, let me just get the door here. Let's see who it is. Oh it's today's sponsor, Pure Cane All Natural Zero Calorie Sweetener. Well come on in. Pure Cane, have a seat. Pure Cane is a zero-calorie sugar replacement that is naturally derived. And here's the best part. It tastes just like sugar and bakes just like sugar. Use it wherever sugar is used without the negative effects of sugar. It's got great flavor so you don't have to compromise on taste like when you're using those old-school artificial sweeteners with that metallic tang. You can use all-natural, sustainable Pure Cane For a zero-calorie, zero-net-carb, vegan, gluten-free, keto-friendly option, and all of your favorite recipes. So, for example, Pure Cane, uh, we have Grandma Grace's cranberry orange cake that we did that in our cranberry episode. It's got two cups of sugar. What is the ratio to swap you out? Oh, it's one-to-one, is it? Well, that makes it very easy. Pure cane. Well, also this cake is really sweet because we take uh, orange juice and sugar, and we make a drizzle pours over the cake and is absorbed into it. And then we take whatever's left and re pour that into the cake until it's all absorbed in there. It's a lot of sugar, pure cane. Can you make this healthier? You can. Better for me and for and for the planet. All right, I see you, pure cane. If you want to see Pure Cane, head over to purecane.com right now and enter promo code But Digest for 30% off your first order. That's purecane.com, P-U-R-E-C-A-N-E. Enter promo code Digest, 30%. Thanks for dropping by, Pure Cane. Oh, look, I got you a slice of Grandma Grace's cranberry cake to go. But, hey, hey, I want that Tupperware back. Dan, just for uh, Easter, made a, um, a tart just with simple puff pastry, store-bought. He made it easy and did a mix of goat cheese and soft cheeses mixed in the ramps, uh, baked that up. And it was an appetizer for Easter. And it was, it was perfect. This garlicky, oniony goat cheese tart. Yum.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's uh, it can do no wrong. Now, so they uh, they kind of have this sort of cult like status, uh, especially. Uh, among the hillbillies, uh, myself included, here in, in Appalachia. Um, again, they grow all up and down uh, the, the Appalachians. And what's kind of cool about them is they are, these festivals pop up right about now. I mean, in fact, if you Google Ramp Festival, uh, you will see that starting this weekend and running for about the next three or four weeks, kind of going north, um, there are all sorts of festivals. And um, the one in Polk County, Tennessee, which is the closest one to me, is actually called the Ramp Tramp Festival. Uh, And that is where you're going to have like the real deal um, Appalachian style where they fry the ramps in bacon fat with potatoes and they call that cleverly ramps and taters Uh, or the other dish which is super popular down here is ramps and eggs which is this sort of cast iron skillet frittata like dish where again the ramps are fried in bacon grease they add a bunch of you know whipped eggs scrambled eggs and let it set and oh my god that is good. Um, and they charge like three bucks a plate. I mean, you can't go wrong uh, to go to one of these festivals. Now, in, in some parts of Appalachia, particularly in Polk County, it's no longer a law on the books, but it used to be a local ordinance or law that made it illegal to attend church or school for up to two days after eating ramps because of the quote-unquote aroma. Oh, uh, I love they, it, they, they, really? I love it, yeah. They, oh, that's they, fun. You, you weren't allowed, but I, I kind of figured that if you all eat it, then no one is in violation, right? The whole town eats it, everybody. It's a yeah. homogenous aroma keeps um, away
1: the devil and the vampires that's what yeah, we say
0: that's right the devil went down to georgia and then ate some ramps so yeah i didn't think about that 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 actually the uh, the vampire thing is a is a real myth here in appalachia that is that is a uh, a local folklore of keeping vampires away is is ramps um so the most famous of these festivals and again they're all up and down kind of dotted throughout appalachia is in the self-proclaimed ramp capital of the world, which is Richwood, West Virginia. And starting two weeks before the festival, they have all these volunteers, like 20 volunteers a day, that start, the ramps have already been harvested, but they have these volunteers and that start cleaning and slicing and bagging these ramps for what they call the Feast of the Ramson. And there they, in addition to ramps and taters and eggs, they also serve them with beans and with ham and with cornbread. Uh, and as always, they do, they they tend to fry the ramps in bacon fat, which is amazing. So when they, they
1: fry them in bacon fat, it's yeah. more like like a collard green correct deal, right? It's yeah, yeah. still going to be kind of soft like spinach. Right. And...
0: Well, they start with the firmer part. So they start kind of like you would your aromatics. They start sweating the bulb, which has already been kind of diced and chopped. And once that starts to soften, then they throw in the greens and then kind of cut the heat. Um And then you can also take home, there's a lot of jarred ramp products like salsa and ramp jelly and pickled ramps, which are one of my favorite things because the vinegar that's left over from those pickled ramps is so delightful. And you can use that ramp vinegar in all sorts of vinaigrettes or even on your collard greens. That's really one of my favorite things is ramp vinegar. Super good. Um, And at a lot of these Southern festivals, they always crown a queen. Like we have the Marble Festival in Jasper, there's a Marble Queen. And there's an Apple Festival in Ellijay, and there's an Apple Queen. So they always crown a ramp queen at the at all of these little festivals. But there's one man that you might have heard of that is sort of the uh, the undisputed ramp king of all time. And this guy, his name was William Bato Christ, but everybody called him Bato or Beto. I never hadn't heard his name spoken. Um, Because he was born in 1888. He is no longer with us. And uh, Bateau was the 16th of 19 children. So that's typical Appalachian story, right? One of many. Uh, And he really was known as really the first true obsessive when it comes to ramps. He was the one that kind of um, got this ramp obsession going in the mid-1900s and uh it was sort of because of his efforts that the first ramp festival was created to celebrate the ramp and he was always selling them during the season and uh i read some old newspaper clippings in this one uh, old timer now she remembers him when she was a kid she said quote he was an interesting character who chewed snuff whittled wood and dug up ramps in the spring he told me he was the meanest man on earth <laughs> And he said, "Quote: Where I come from, the dogs are so scared of me they won't even come out at night." So, uh,
1: what an not, asshole!
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a great guy. But it's because of his efforts that uh, not l- alone, but he really was the, the sort of champion of of ramps. And uh, really, because of his efforts, it's it's when restaurants started seeing this as a true uh, gourmet thing. And for, in fact, people would come down from New York. Restaurant tours would come down to buy them from him. And uh, he called them fancy people. I saw a quote where he said these fancy people would come, ramp eaters, fancy ramp eaters is what he called them.
1: Oh, um, I would hate this guy. I know it. I, I read a little bit about him and you would think, oh, look at this charming old yeah, timer yeah. digging up ramps. And it turns out he's just a wreck. Yeah,
0: yeah, he was not uh, a friendliest guy, but again, right. anyway, you have to thank him. So um, I want to mention one thing, though. So because of the popularity, ramps are a little bit. I don't want to say endangered but people are taking a bit advantage of them and and because yeah. they take so long to grow from seed we have seen a decline in in the ramp populations and so i want to mention something about sort of good forest stewardship and especially in all foraging you know when you're going out whether it's mushrooms uh or whether it's fiddlehead ferns or whether it's ramps there's all of these things, you know, they they grow in these very specific locations. There's a reason that they aren't farm raised because they're difficult and they take a long yeah, time.
1: Like we said, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a process. So you're never supposed to harvest more than 10 to 15% of any patch that you find. So if you if you stumble upon a a large patch of them, you take, you know, what you think you can use in that time. And then the other thing is rather than digging up the entire plant roots and all, the best idea is to insert a knife into the ground And really, you want to cut about half an inch to an inch uh, or even up to two inches above the roots because uh, like we talked about with uh, turmeric on a few episodes ago, uh, there's a rhizome and the rhizome is just above the root and that's the part kind of which is the the soul of the plant. And as long as you leave that intact, the plant will come back in the next season. So you don't want to take the whole thing out roots and all. And if you do accidentally remove the whole thing, well, just cut off about, like I said, an inch or two above the roots, and then just immediately dig and put those right back. You already have a tool in your hand, put the thing back in the ground so that next year it can come back and it can reseed and, and, uh, And make a new generation. So practicing good forest stewardship with any kind of foraging ensures that there's something for you to harvest in future seasons, but also for future generations to be able to enjoy those. Otherwise, you're going to be you'll know of ramps from the podcast only and won't be able to enjoy them yourselves.
1: Well, you were talking about uh, these concerns of overharvesting. And yeah, that brings me back to uh, what you were mentioning about Quebec. Well, first of all, when we dig them up in Michigan, it is hard because you just want to put the spade down, pull them up and and grab them. It's hard not to... uh... Not to take all the roots and everything. And so we have to be careful about taking only certain amounts in the patch. But in Quebec, they have banned the commercial sales of ramps since 1995 because they've been listed as a vulnerable species. And that's what you were trying to say before. It's not endangered, but it's vulnerable. So you can't sell ramps anywhere, even if they come from another province. Now, you can have them for personal consumption, but if you have more than 50 bulbs, and you don't need more than 50 no. Ramps for personal consumption, you might face a five hundred dollar minimum fine. Wow! So it's been illegal to harvest in Quebec for twenty five years. So there's a black market in ramp smuggling, and then I'm like, okay, I'm in. I need to read about <laughs> this. There's an entire underground of poachers that have sprouted up to supply chefs, you know, and and fresh markets with ramps. So they can get really expensive across the border in Ontario, where the legal ramps they can get like a dollar per plant. For like a full bulb and leaves, which is really ridiculous money. They're they're just not worth that. So that's created a black market as the thieves are digging up the ramp patches in Quebec, smuggling the bulbs across the border to sell them in Ontario. Because they're growing wild along the Ottawa River and they're pulling up thousands of bulbs. And so police are holding stakeouts in the woods (laughs) and, you know, P.S. little, little, you know, Grilling some steak with little ramps. That sounds like the stakeout I can yep. get into. Yep. So I read about a guy who faced a $10,000 fine because he had nearly 8,000 bulbs. Wow. And here's the most Canadian part of the story ever. Are you ready? He was carrying them in his hockey bag. Hey, I love that. Are
0: the, uh, are the uh, stakeout police riding horseback? Are they on mount like Mounties? That'd be awesome. Oh, that
1: would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I do know that these, these one wildlife officers were definitely in a car because they turned on their siren and blocked his car with their car. It would be harder with the horses, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he had like 2,300 illegal bulbs and he said that he needed them for his high blood pressure.
0: Nice, yeah.
1: Must have been really high.
0: Very high, especially when the siren came on.
1: <laughs> so I was, I was thinking about that and it reminded me in about other veggie smuggling news. Have you heard about what's going on in the Philippines like right now? No, um, this year the local veggie industry—it's been on the brink of collapse because of illegal vegetable smuggling from China. Huh. You know they're talking about onions, onions and strawberries, but mainly it's about carrots. In Benguet, in particular, uh, it's uh, north of Manila. Uh, they have such a huge production of vegetables that it's known as the salad bowl of the Philippines. That's what okay. they do. So they supply a lot of the Philippines, including Metro Manila. They had a 20% decline in sales for the local uh, Benguet vegetables uh, the year before last. And this year, smuggling is so bad that it doubled. They had a 40% daily sales decline wow. in local vegetables. So whenever, whenever the prices are possibly increasing at the, uh, at the markets, there are small warehouses that are releasing these cheaper imported vegetables from China and they're flooding the local market with these in, in Manila and the areas. So it's gotten so bad that as recently as weeks ago in March, uh, the Benguet farmers were forced to give their harvest away for free. Wow. They, uh, they gave away, and this is recently in March, five tons of carrots were given away for relief because consumers are opting to buy the smuggled carrots.
0: And that's wild because these are just carrots. I mean, I, I say they're just carrots, but I mean... You know, you would think that a smuggling operation would be like truffles or shark fins or, you know, whatever. This is carrots.
1: Well, this is why. Because local carrots can spoil in two or three days. The smuggled ones can last up for two months. Mm. And the public is being warned against consuming the smuggled ones because why are they lasting for two months? Because they're being coated with formaldehyde.
0: It is famous for keeping things uh, fresh well beyond yeah. their expiry date, uh, yeah, so to speak.
1: Yeah, which isn't new because there was a lot of alarm about uh, Chinese formaldehyde-laced cabbage 10 years ago, um, and they were saying it's a common practice to keep the cabbages fresh. This uh, Chinese cabbage farmer was saying it. you know, Otherwise, the vegetables stacked tightly in their trucks would rot in two to three days because they don't have refrigerated trucks. Got it. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The... Philippine Senate wants to know why the Department of Agriculture is failing to stop the influx of the Chinese vegetables. So they've been holding hearings with the Department of Agriculture, the DA, about this. So just last week, and we're again, we're recording this in mid-April, the Senate president who presides over the Senate committee of the whole hearing, his name is Vincente Soto, he announced that they now have a list of the players. There's particularly for people, and they turn out to be connected with the Department of Agriculture. Of course they are. They've been in and out of the Department of Agriculture and the Bureau of Customs and are said to to be uh, being protected by the government officials, he says.
0: Yeah, so it's an inside job. It's corruption. Corrupt carrots.
1: Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that's that. That's my veggie smuggling story. But (laughs) as I was telling you, I don't need to smuggle ramps anyway because we've got hundreds in our backyard. Yeah, you're flexing now. You're flexing. I know. Um, and ramps are growing naturally in about three-fourths of Michigan's 83 counties. And you, uh, you guys might remember Gail Gand. She's our uh, our friend. She's my neighbor. She was on Food Network as well, the cookbooks, and you know Gail Gand.
0: Of He's course, great. and she and most famous for doing uh, this podcast and doing this it, podcast talking about vanilla. Yeah, um, that, vanilla, that was, vanilla. Yeah, that, vanilla, and that was sort of the apex of her career, but no, don't tell her that.
1: Well, Gail's a, uh, she's a, a, she's a, she's a mover and a shaker. She's, oh, yeah. a, she's a hustler. Like if she looks out her back window and she sees there's ramps, she's going to be like, oh, there's like 250 bucks in my backyard. Okay, everybody boots on. We're going to market. And she's <laughs> like, she will make stuff happen. So she did do that with her eldest son, Gio. They started up a, um, a business when he was uh, a junior high school. Probably they started it where he was digging ramps up from the area. They, have, they don't have so many in her, her particular backyard, but in her neighborhood they do. And they would go door to door and knock on people's doors and say, hey, you know, you've know, you got all these wild onions in your backyard and they're not weeds, can we have them? And people are like, yeah, all right. So uh, he started this business and he was making, You know, he made a little side hustle for himself as a kid because they would dig them up and she would go, as she said, uh, she would be a farmer for a month and go knock on the back of the uh, kitchen doors of the restaurants with her buckets of ramps.
0: Nice, I can see her. She would have no problem doing that. Wouldn't even flinch, I can see that.
1: No, especially if it's teaching uh, her kid a little a little lesson oh, yeah. about finances. Yeah, she's all on that. So we have problems with foragers and theft here in Cook County. Cook County is where Chicago is. Uh, the Cook County Forest Preserve Police have got their hands full of people coming out with buckets and grocery bags um, and poaching them from the forest preserves, which, you know, you're not allowed to do. Uh, sure. One of the officers caught someone with a shopping cart, 30 pounds of plants. Wow. And people will make excuses, say, well, you know, we pay taxes here, it's public land, but still you're not allowed to do that because then you're taking something public just for yourself. Sure. They stopped one guy and he's like, it's uh, it's public land and I, I just, I'm making soup. And this police officer said, no one needs 3,000 onions for soup.
0: That's a hell of an onion soup.
1: <laughs> it is. They issue about 100 citations each year for poaching, and about 50% of them are because of ramps. Wow. That's impressive. So are ramps in Chicago? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I was talking to some people, uh, some locals today, and they didn't know what I'm about to tell you, which is ramps are so prevalent that there is a city named after them, and that city is? Hans, you know the answer to this. I do
0: know it is. Uh, I'm going to be visiting there very shortly. It's called Chicago.
1: Chicago. The name Chicago is derived from the local uh, Native American word, Chicago. Um, now, I, I'm going to say that with confidence. I may not be pronouncing it correctly, but it's like Chicago with a UA at the end. And I think Chicago is... I think I will be forgiven by, by the Native Americans for that. So when the French came here, they saw that these were growing in abundance along the south end of Lake Michigan, and all our rivers were kind of coming together, the rivers and the streams, and the Native Americans called that area Chicago. And the French were, when they got here in 1673, they were confused because they're like, well, which river is which? And if this is Chicago, what river is this? What stream is this? But the whole area was called Chicago. So they, gradually they gave names to some of those streams, the Des Plaines and the Saganash, um, the, the Chicago River, the Portage River, and that made it easier. So is it really named for this area? Well, the curator of biology, we've got a wonderful nature museum here in Chicago, the Peggy part. so cool! It's one of those areas that has the, uh, the Butterfly Conservatory. Nice. So this guy, Doug Tarrin, he was saying there's three kinds of onions around here. Uh, the nodding onion, and I don't know what it is, but uh, that's how freaking cute. nodding <laughs> I'm nodding my head in agreement. Mm-hmm. Very cute. The wild garlic and the wild leek. And the wild leek is usually known as the ramp. Um, so most historians think that this onion version of the ramp is correct because the Miami, Illinois Indians were known for naming their areas after the plants that grew here. So if they were calling this area Chicago, it's because that's where the ramps going. They did that because it provided a reference for them. When they were gathering food, they knew where it was, which nice. I think is very clever. Great idea. So uh, when uh, LaSalle was here in um, one of his companions, Henry Jutel, he wrote in his diary in 1687, we arrived at a place which is named Chicago, which according to what we learned has taken its name from the quantity of garlic, which grows in this district in the woods, a species of garlic in quantity, which is not entirely like that of France, having its leaf broader and shorter and is also not so strong, though its taste closely approaches us, but it is not like the little onions or the onion of France. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. So that is why uh chicago is named chicago which then led me over to i wonder if people know why chicago is called the windy city so i do not
0: actually although i have been blown about there as far as uh, one time you guys took me to
1: lake michigan way wayfish. well that is true teeny, yeah. teeny little thing that is
0: true but it was quite windy and i just kind of made that assumption so is it not because of the gusts of wind
1: well here we go yes and no while chicago is of course widely known as the windy city it is not as windy as many, many of the cities in the country. The average annual wind speed in Chicago is 10.3 miles an hour. Boston is 12 and a half miles an hour. Wow. Amarillo, Texas, 13 and a half miles an hour. Dodge City, Kansas, nearly 14 miles an hour. So the Chicago wind is 10.3, as I said. And to again put that in perspective, in Central Park in New York, 9.3.
0: Oh, yeah. So roughly yeah, one mile less right. than uh, Chicago. Yeah,
1: But I think that in, in a big sense, we've earned the title of Windy City because when they rebuilt the city after the fire, they built it on this really strict and uh, excellent grid system. It's very easy to find your way around Chicago. However, when the wind comes off the lake, all of these tall buildings and skyscrapers make this funnel. So the wind is super forceful, you know, rushing down the, rushing down the streets. I remember when, um, where I used to live, I used to live right off the lake and I would walk my dog. And when we rounded the corner and we were, we would get the wind coming off the lake, this dog would hit the ground. She would like, (laughs) her ears would go down and she'd start to crawl because it was hitting so hard. Wow. Uh, but the other reason that they do that is in the nineteenth century, journalists, specifically the editor of The New York Sun, referred to Chicago as the Windy city because he thought there all well, the politicians were full of hot air, and the residents were boastful braggarts
0: nice. It's, uh, it's, right. uh, yeah, i won't I won't comment to that.
1: but this is so so Chicago of all of us here in Chicago, they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll take it and then we and they grabbed the name and embraced it. And screw and they, you. yeah, and they probably bragged about it. Absolutely, left. they yeah. were they were boastful braggarts. Yeah, um, yeah. The other name that we're known by is Second City, and that is because Chicago was the second largest metropolitan metropolitan area in the U.S. for over a hundred years. But also from another article in the 1950s, A.J. Liebling in the New Yorker uh, was a New Yorker working in Chicago, and he wrote this snarky travelogue called Chicago, the second city, that it was a second-class city with second-class citizens, couldn't keep up with Manhattan. And again, Chicago's like, great, I'm putting that on a t-shirt, AJ nice i we put that on a T-shirt and you are not getting royalties.
0: And, and quite honestly, I would rather be the second city than like the 19th city. So I think, uh, you know, second place is better than a lot. So it sounds... Isn't there a... Um, and this is my ignorance, but isn't there an acting troupe or a comedy
1: troupe It's called like the Second City Players or there, something? The Second City. It's called The Second City. Um, it's one of the most renowned improv comedy troupes in the world. Mm. Yep. I knew uh, I'd heard na- that. Yeah. In 1959, the Second City... Um, Came about, uh, it's got some of the most successful names in the entertainment business, came out of Second City. Uh, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray, John Belushi went to Second City, Dan Aykroyd, Wow. Mike Myers, John Candy was was in there, uh, Steve Carell, Chris Farley. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, that's like crazy top notch. Eugene Levy, I haven't given you any women. Gilda Radner. Oh, wow. Catherine O'Hara, Amy Poehler, and this next person who is the subject of, Stop! Oh my God. Strike out! I think I just belly
0: flopped right into that pool. You
1: did, you didn't even know I was gonna talk about no The Second idea. City. no Oh, idea. you set me up. Okay, so this brilliant comedian, broke into comedy as a featured player at The Second City, became a comedy writer, a performer, a fake anchor, She wrote a best-selling memoir, as well as co-starring and writing the script for Mean Girls. She wrote and created the musical adaptation for Mean Girls on Broadway, which makes her stump the straight guy. She got a Tony nomination for it. She won lots of important awards as the youngest person to ever, youngest person to ever receive the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And her name is... Oh my God! I'm um I'm drawing a blank. I know exactly who it is.
0: She she does the great Sarah Palin impersonation. She's friends with Amy Poehler, uh, Tina Fey. Oh. Tina Fey. <laughs> Tina Fey. Damn it! You got well, it. Well, yeah, but look, I love SNL, and particularly when she was on Weekend Update. I mean, I thought she and uh, um, Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon did it. She, I just, I think, yeah, I kind of, I kind of have a crush on Tina Fey. So uh, damn so, yeah, it. that
1: one was that, too easy. I, I keep giving you easy ones. If you're keeping track, Hans got the last one too, which was Liza Minnelli, which was Liza with a Z, not Cheese Whiz with a Z, which is much more difficult to sing if you were playing along. So that's that's actually three in a row for you, Hansel.
0: Wow, yeah, I feel like I should retire at this point because uh, that's pretty good. I'm that's and that's the best run that I think
1: I shall ever have. Oh, you're screwed next week. I'm so yep. angry that I don't want to talk to you anymore. I just want to talk about recipe.
0: The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching your cook. So I did a cookbook uh, many, many moons ago called Eat Like There's No Tomorrow. And it was right at the time that I really fell headlong into ramps and ramp culture and learning about the ramp, you know, the whole history here in Appalachia. Just fell in love with ramps. And I have to tell you a quick story. I went with my dear friend, Hewitt, who does our uh, a lot of our work for the, the website uh, and puts the episodes up. So Hewitt and I decided to go on this first ramp tramp. And we got separated from the group and we thought well we know what ramps look like let's just go pick some ramps and so we get our little baggy full right on the side of the road in uh, in teleco plains tennessee and as we're going back to our car super proud that we'd found our first ramps a gentleman walks up and he goes you know those are poisonous right and we we're like no 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 no. these are these are ramps he goes nope those aren't ramps those are jack in the pulpits those oh And sure enough, we had harvested, not a lot, but we had harvested a, you know, a a grocery baggie full of uh, Jack in the pulpits and he he then took the time to show us side by side what the differences are. And they are very similar looking. But the biggest giveaway is Jack and the pulpit smell nothing like garlic, you know, whereas, you know, you pick a ramp, it, it has a smell to it. So not only did he take time to give us an education, he then took us on a on a tour uh, and really spent a couple hours with us, giving us a, a great education in the history of ramps and what to look for in proper foraging. And I'm sad to say I didn't even get his name, but he, he was so nice that he uh, spent the time with us. Then, so Then, that- oh, sorry. No, the, 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 the clincher of the whole thing was we walked back to the car and I had somewhere in that two hours of traipsing through the woods had dropped our car keys. So here we are, no cell signal in the middle of nowhere. The rain just drops out. We've got our bags of ramps and no car keys. Uh, but luckily, after about 45 minutes of, of foraging again, we found the car keys and made it down to tell the story.
1: It, what you just said about picking the wrong thing made me think there's a uh, I found this TikTok video. It's So funny. It's about this gay dad in uh, Brooklyn. He lives in Brooklyn. uh, And he does. I think I think it's just a guy that is doing this character. And he's talking on the phone to his husband and he's foraging for ramps in Brooklyn uh, because it's the first ramp season for their their baby. And it opens with him on the phone screaming, that's a scallion. Drop it. (laughs) <laughs> because you have to pull Roman out of preschool right now. It's a short ramp season because of the Brood Brudex, okay? But to three markets. I'm literally forging in the park right now. I don't care if you're watching Drew Barrymore. You know it's shorter than a Drew Barrymore season? Ramp season. Ramp season. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to put that. I'm going to put a link. That's that. nice. It's, yeah. His name is Jake Cornell, and it is really funny.
0: Cool. I can't wait to see that. Well, I, I went and down. And he that- drops his car keys. Oh yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the clincher. Well, uh, wonderful memories of that first uh, ramp tramp with uh, with my friend Hewitt. But the, the coolest advice he gave me was the best way to preserve these long-term is to work them into a compound butter. And I love doing compound butters because what a great way to preserve the that sort of, again, ephemeral flavor of ramps. Uh, yes, you can freeze them, but they aren't quite the same. But once they're locked into a compound butter, super simple to make, and you can do it with all sorts of things. Uh, but I put that recipe in my book, And it it really, again, extends that flavor well beyond their growing season. And you can use them on steaks or chops or fish or even grilled vegetables. And then the great thing is, beyond ramp season, if you do run out of ramp butter, you can very easily cheat by using a handful of spinach and like four or five or six cloves of garlic, uh, and you can kind of make a uh, ramp adjacent butter um, that's you know you could fool fool the uh, the uninitiated. But anyway, you'll enjoy it, and I'll share that with you, and and you will go to your freezer multiple times for that one.
1: Well, when we had our restaurants, we used to bring the ramps from. Michigan, and we would serve them at the restaurants. So Dan did a couple of different things with them. Uh, like I said, he would make you know the tarts, the quiches, the eggs on on Sunday brunch, but also for the catering business, he would make the compound butter. And he'd make a lot of it, and as you said, you can't freeze the ramps, but you can't freeze the butter, right? Sure. So you know, make the big rolls of butter, yep. put those away, and so for weddings, like in the middle of the winter, he could have a ramp butter chicken breast. And what he would do is he would uh, put a big chunk of the ramp butter underneath the skin when he was cooking the chicken. Oh, so nice. And it just brings those flavors of spring at any time, it's such a good idea.
0: No, I love it. It's, uh, again, lasts forever. And I like that idea, especially how you said you put the uh, compound butter under the skin of the chicken yeah. as you're cooking it. I'm glad you clarified that because if you try to do it with just a chicken, like if you just find a chicken, they will complain about you trying to put the ramp butter under the
1: skin. It gets under their skin. They don't it gets like under it. under their skin. <laughs> well, the other thing that we used to do there was put them into drinks. So this was an idea that I had. Do you know what a Gibson is? Oh, yeah, you may made me one and I love it. I did really, yeah, yeah. A, a at the restaurant, a, it was
0: this was at oh, okay. the restaurant. Oh, one at the night. Ramp Gibson. You had uh, the Ramp Gibson, yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic.
1: Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So a Gibson is a martini with onions, basically. Uh, when I used to work at TGI Fridays and I was head waiter, I don't. I'm just going to drop that right here, people. <laughs> He's head flexing waiter, again. He is and flexing. TGI Fridays, Hackensack, New Jersey. Bam, bam. Wow. So anyway, when I was head waiter there, I would have to teach all of the new waiters. And we would do something called family food, and I would put them into two different teams, and I would quiz them, and they would win beers afterwards. Nice. After the shift. And one of the things was, I told them how to remember what a Gibson was. I said, a Gibson is a martini with an onion. gibson yun.
0: gibson
1: yun. And it was one of my favorite things because... I would ask them questions and you know, they'd raise their hand and they'd be like Gibson yun, Steve Gibson. (laughs) So yes, you're welcome. You will always remember that now. So I took the ramps and I infused vodka with them. So I put them into the vodka and you put them in for a couple of days uh, and make a, make a martini with that, with some vermouth. uh, and a pickled ramp. And the pickled ramps are pretty simple to do with the vinegar. And I will, I will tell you how to do those as well. So the thing, though, is that when you are infusing the vodka, you have you have to give it a couple of days and then take the ramps out. Because the longer they sit in there, they will it'll start to get so strong that you won't enjoy it anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. It gets woofy. So
1: it does. So, in fact, we used to mix our uh, ramp Gibsons with... Half ramp-infused vodka and half uh, straight vodka just to cut it so it wouldn't be too strong. Nice. And then put that pickled ramp in there. So fun. And that is my ramp Gibson. How do we know it's a Gibson? It's uh, because you give someone the onion. (laughs) gibson onion, gibson onion. Oh, you do not get a shift beer. Uh. So if you would like to find these recipes, and I hope you do, they're like these are really usable recipes this week. Go to our website, budidigestpodcast.com. If you would like to email us, email us at podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at but Digest Podcast. I will put a link to that video, that funny video that I want you to see. Uh, I will put that up there. Twitter, where Buddy Digest Pod. Also on our website, you will find a link to Hans's Lines of Spices, as well as a link to download my cocktail book, The New Old Bar. As always, special thanks to our sponsor. Hello, Pure Cane Natural Sweeteners. Thank you so much. Our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, Natalie DeChicos. Special music by Corey Goodrich. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes.
0: I have one last uh, thing to say, and that is tomorrow is April the 22nd, and I am going deep into the woods uh, to pick a, to find ramps, to pick ramps, right? So if you don't hear from me by April the 23rd, please
1: send help. I Well, I'd better hear from you because you're coming this Sunday for... <laughs> that is true. I'm fest. first Nitzelfest. Nitzelfest this fest. weekend. Be afraid, nice. everyone. Be very afraid. Are we done here? We are done.